What is up, people? I want to say hello, first of all, to the people in the room. I never say hey to you guys first. And I want to say hey to everybody who's actually here. For those wondering how do you get in the room, it's not that big of a room. There's like 20 people here, and that's all we have room for. But I want to say hey to everybody here. I want to say hey to people watching on the Second Chance website, watching on Facebook, YouTube, podcast, however you're, however you're getting this content. Super excited about Second Chance today. We're, we're, we've got this week and next week in the book of Ruth. Now, today's message is going to be a little PG-13. Next week's message, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's going to be rated R. It, and it's not going to be rated R because of anything I'm going to say or do. It's going to be rated R because of some scripture I'm going to read that's um, really kind of uncomfortable. In fact, if you grew up in church, some of the passages I'm going to read next week, you've never heard because they're scary passages to read, but they're in the Bible. So I'm just going to read them as they are. So next week's going to be fun. We'll finish up the book of Ruth next week. Today, we're going to be in, in Ruth chapter four as we continue the story. If you've missed any of these messages, you can go to YouTube or um, you can go to our podcast and check it out. And it'll, it'll, be, it'll be great. So, and, and I'll give you a building update at the end of the message. That's right. I'm waiting until the end of the message. Keep you hooked in. Over the past 20 years, communication has changed a, a good bit. Uh, 20 years ago, there, there was a time in American life where you would, if you wanted to communicate something to someone, you would sit down with a pen and a piece of paper write this thing called a letter. And then after you wrote the letter, you'd put a stamp on it and put it in the mail. And the United States Postal Service might get it there, might not, you never know. But most of the time they came through, they got on their horses and the Pony Express went through and everything was great. Few, a few years later though, there was this brand new invention called email. Email came out. And I remember when email first came out on dial-up. Some of you don't know what dial-up is, but email came out. Then after email came the text message. I can remember my first text message I ever received is on a flip phone. Um, and some of you remember the flip phones where you'd have to hit the letter like three or four times before you got the right letter and all that stuff. And then, um, after, so text messaging became real popular. And then one of my favorite things in the world came available, emojis. Now, I'm a huge fan of emojis. Some people hate emojis. I got scolded two weeks ago by a friend um, that... Literally, they texted me, use your words. And I'm like, why use words when you have emojis? Because emojis communicate everything. I've had people say, I thought you were mad at me because you were sending me emojis. I'm like, no, no, no. If I send you emojis, I love you. If you get no emojis from me, you're out of my life. I'm done with you. You're dead. So I just thought I would put up some, and I did a little survey this week. Um, of, uh, like, what's your favorite emojis? And I'm going to share some of your favorite emojis that you communicated to me and some of mine. Now, this is this one. This is like my favorite because this is how I want to be every day of my life. Like I want now I'm not like this, like when I'm in traffic or I'm in line at Walmart. Um, I'm not. But most of the time, this is what I want to be. This is really my heart. I want to be a happy person. Anybody like this emoji? Anybody down with this? OK, two people. Thanks, Lauren. Um, <laughs> I love this emoji right here because this is like I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation or at a table with a group of people and you're laughing so hard that you, like tears are coming out of your eyes. I love that. I want that. And sometimes when people send me fun, funny stuff, I send them this emoji. Um, this emoji is really popular. Like I'm so embarrassed. I had to send this one time um, about a year ago. Um, a, a, somebody had texted me something. Uh, it was a female. And I, I texted back, give me a sec. 
but the C and the X are right next to each other on the keyboard. So what I actually sent to her was, give me a sex. And I hit send, and I was like, oh, my God. So that's what I did right there. That's the embarrassed emoji. This one right here, this is, this is the love emoji. This is the love emoji. Like, I, any, I'm like, like you, you send this, like, I love that, or I love you. Anybody in love? Anybody in love? Raise your hand if you're in love. Jeremy, you in love? All right, then, Jeremy, that's your emoji right there. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, is it, you don't know this Jeremy and Logan. They've been dating for 1,400 years, and I just, if you like it, you need to put a ring on it. All right, there you go. <laughs> you all right? Okay, okay. But the emoji I think that most people can identify with is this one. Because this right here, this right here, everybody has had a day, and that emoji right there describes your day. Or that emoji right there might describe your situation in life. That emoji right there might describe a relationship. That, that emoji right there could be how you feel when it comes to your relationship with God. I, I know this because all of us, all of us who are honest, who are honest, and I know we've, taught, we've been taught not to be honest in church and pretend everything's okay, but all of us have experienced something like this in life. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence before we start, and then we're going to go through it. Um, and so if you have to leave or if you want to you know, log off early or if you go to sleep or whatever, if you don't get anything else I say out of the message today, this is going to be the main point we're going to keep coming back to over and over again. When life feels like it, don't quit. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm using it in place of, <clears throat> because I, I didn't warn everybody this week. So when life feels like it, don't quit. Because quitting is the thing that most of us want to do when it happens in our life. So when life feels like it, don't quit. Now, let's just pause for a second and rewind the story of Ruth, and look at it through a lens that maybe we've never seen it before. Imagine, for just a second, that there's someone, and they're, they're born not in America. Now, I don't know, how many of you have ever traveled outside of America? Anybody? Okay, me too, me too. Some people, if you've ever traveled outside of America, you understand the world's a different place. Even places that we think are very similar are very different. I remember my first time going to the UK, and love the UK, love the Brits, um, and, and they're great people. But I ordered a glass of water, and the guy brought me a glass of water with no ice. And, uh, and so I just was like, hey, could I, get some, could I get some ice? And he looked at me. <laughs> he was so like I just asked to speak to the Queen of England. I'm like, I just want ice. So he brings me back two cubes of ice. I'm like, you guys are underachievers. No wonder if we beat you in two wars. I didn't say that out loud. I just thought that. My apologies to my British friends. But the culture's different. They don't use ice there. And I just realized that on that trip. So imagine somebody is born in a different culture that's not from American culture, so they don't understand our culture. So imagine they're born in a different culture. And not only are they born in a different culture, but they're born in a different religious environment. So for example, like if you're born in America, whether you like it or not, you are influenced by Judeo-Christian values. You can be the most non-Christian, non-godly person in the world, and, and we are all influenced by Judeo-Christian values, 
period, okay? Now, I don't know that it'll always be that way, but it's that way right now. But let's say you're born in a culture that's not influenced by those values. Like um, in the 1980s, the Soviet Union, where the, the uh, main religion of the state was atheism. And it wasn't like um, indifference toward God. It was like hatred toward God. Or maybe like in um, a Muslim country that's Sharia law, like, Sharia, like extreme, extreme, extreme religious views. So let's say that there's somebody that they're born in a different country and the religion that they're born into is actually hostile to God. Okay, are we tracking so far? Good. So let's say for about 16 or 17 years, that's all they know. They grow up in that culture. They don't know anything different. And when they're about 16 or 17 years old, they meet their very first follower of God. They meet their very first God follower. Now, most people would say, well, that's, a, that's great. They finally met a missionary. No, 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 no. This isn't a missionary. They're not meeting a missionary. They're meeting somebody who's running from God. At one time, they were close to God, but they intentionally turned their back on God and ran from God and met this person that was born in a different country with a, in a different religious culture. Now, if you've been tracking with the story of Ruth, that's exactly what we've got going on. Ruth was born in Moab, which was not in Israel, it's Moab. It was separate from Israel. Not only was she born separate, but the Moabites were um, idol worshipers. They worshiped false gods. And then she meets, maybe she's around 16 or 17 years old. She meets Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, and Naomi. And they're running from God. Remember, they left Bethlehem. They turned their back on God. They intentionally went to the land of Moab where they weren't supposed to go and started doing things that they weren't supposed to do. So her very first encounter with someone who claimed to know God would be equal to... It's, it, her very first encounter with someone who knew God was somebody who was running from God. This would be like your daughter coming home from a spring break weekend going, Mom, I was in the club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I met a Christian. Um, that, that would just be, that's not what you want to hear. Like, why were you in the club at 2 o'clock? I thought you were going down there for a Bible study. So in, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Ruth's life, the best way to sum it up so far is this right here. Because if somebody's born, don't miss this. If somebody's born in a foreign culture that's anti-God, and the very first person that they meet is, a, is running from God, this is what we expect out of this story. It's just a big pile of it so far. And, and it happens in, in Ruth's life, and it happens in our life. But the it in this story, it gets a little bit deeper because Ruth winds up marrying one of um, one of the sons. Now, here's what's crazy. The Jewish people, the God followers, they were told, don't marry people from other nations. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So not only does she meet uh, somebody that's running from God, she actually compromises with him. Now, this, there's no way any good can come out of this right here. Now, I want to pause. Let's not be too critical of Ruth. Let's not be too critical of Malon. Let's not be cr- too critical of Kilion doing something that God said not to do because we've all done something that we shouldn't have done. Hey, listen, I discovered this a few years ago. 
Not only can I not follow what God wants me to do all the time, I can't even follow what I want me to do all of the time. Like a couple weeks ago, um, I went to dinner with some friends. In fact, Ryan and Lauren, y'all remember this. We were at the sushi restaurant. I go to dinner with Ryan and Lauren at a sushi restaurant. And in my heart, I decided, you know, because I'm trying to eat a little bit cleaner and in this nutrition thing, in my heart, I'd already decided I'm, I'm not going to get dessert because, you know, they don't have good dessert at sushi restaurants, right? Like deep fried fish with sugar on it. Like, I don't even know how you do that. So I was like, All right, I'm not going to get dessert. But the waitress came up and I kind of have a reputation for loving desserts. And she said, I know you want to hear about the desserts. And I was like, sure. And in my heart and in my mind, I was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. 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 And she said, the very first dessert that I like to tell you about is our deep fried pound cake. You remember this? Deep fried pound cake with ice cream in the middle. Yeah, right? Like, who knew that existed? And before I knew it, she like, I was like, that's what I want. I said I wasn't going to do it. In my heart, I decided not to do it. But I did it, and I enjoyed it. That's what was weird. And I walked out, and you're like, oh, God. But that's the same thing. All of us have done that. All of us have said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to call her again. I'm not going to text him again. And before you know it, we've done it. And we feel like it. And you know what? She, she felt she lived in this for 10 years. She's married to this guy for 10 years. And all of a sudden, Elimelech dies, Malon dies, Kilion dies. Like everything in her life completely falls apart. And everybody watching and everybody in this room knows exactly what's that, what's that like when everything seems to just fall apart and you're completely out of control. What do you do? What do you do? Well, Ruth, I mean, Naomi heard, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, she heard that there was food in Bethlehem. So she decided, kind of like the prodigal son, to go back home. She decided to step back into a relationship with God, to step back into community. And Ruth said, I'll go with you. There was a girl there named Orpah, sister-in-law. She said, I'm not going and Ruth said, that's fine. I'm going to stick with you. So Ruth and Naomi make the journey to back to Bethlehem. And remember what we said, and I think it was uh, week one of this series. One of the most awesome things about Naomi is when she got back into the community and everybody said, it's Naomi. She said, don't call me Na Naomi. Call me Mara for I am bitter. She was bitter. She was angry. She was blaming God. She was blaming God for all of this in her life when she's the one that walked away from God. She's the one that turned her back on God. But when she comes back, nobody pointed their finger. Nobody accused her. Nobody looked down on her. They received her into the community and when you receive people as they are, that's when the healing process can actually begin. When we start pointing our fingers going, well, you shouldn't have left and you shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't have done that. There is no healing. There's only shame. And shame never results in the life that God has called us to live. So when Naomi steps back in, there's community. And, and Ruth, Ruth, we said this in week two, what does she do? The next right thing. 
She just said, I'm going to do the next right thing. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what's supposed to happen. So I'm just going to do the next right thing. And remember we said, and we too, she got off her ass and went to the field where Boaz was. And she just happened to go to Boaz's field and she started working. And, and we said, we said that because she was a Moabite, the people working in the field were probably looking down on her. We're probably talking smack about her. But here's the thing I love about Ruth. I believe she, she, she turned her haters into elevators and it just made her work harder. She said, you know what? You might be able, you might hate me, but you're not going to shut me down. I'm just going to keep working harder. I'm just going to keep working. And she worked so hard that Boaz showed up and said, who is that? And, and she wasn't all dressed up. Remember, we said she was wearing a shirt. She's probably pitted out, hair and a ponytail. And he was like, man, she's hot. So they had a lunch date. And then he doesn't talk to her like six or seven weeks. And then last week we talked about, last week, that's still one of the most unique stories in the Bible where Naomi said, we got to get you married. And Naomi showed Ruth grace. And then Boaz showed Ruth grace. And then Ruth goes, remember Boaz had had a lot to drink and she uncovered his feet. And there's, some, there's all kind of stuff going on there. There's some stuff I didn't even talk about last week because I just, anyway. And, and Ruth said, you know what, Boaz? I want, to mar- I, I want to marry you. And he goes, you know what? I'm actually legally set up to marry you, except for the fact that there's one person in front of us. We explained this last week. And if you're Ruth, you're like, are you serious? I've came back from Moab. I stepped into unfamiliar territory. I've been showing up in these fields every day for six or seven weeks. I'm finally at a place where I'm a thi- I think I'm about to have a breakthrough and you're telling me that it might not happen? I'm sure that if you would have asked Ruth at that point in time to pick an emoji that described her, that would be it. And that's where, that's the introduction. Some of you are like, dear God, this sermon is going to take forever. No, 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 no. We're going to go quick. All right. That's where we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter. But, but, and, and let me just say this. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. And I had a friend share this with me several years ago, and it's meant so much to me. It stinks. It's not fun. But you know what it can be used for? Fertilizer to make things grow. And I had this thought in preparing this message this week. God will use it as fertilizer to fuel us through the next season of our lives. I'm not the guy that says if you'll give your life to Christ, he'll take it away. In fact, if you're honest, if you are following Christ, he doesn't take it away. Sometimes you you are going to have to walk through it. But what I've discovered is, is that God will absolutely use it as fertilizer to fuel us through the next season of our lives. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Now that is huge. We're coming back to that. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Last week, Boaz and Ruth were at the threshing floor, and Boaz told Ruth, 
I'm not going to rest until this issue is resolved. We see in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Boaz went to the town gate. The Bible doesn't say, Boaz stayed at the threshing floor and prayed about the situation. The Bible doesn't say, Boaz went to a Bible study about kinsmen redeemers. The Bible says, Boaz went to the town gate. In other words, he took action. He positioned himself to be in a situation that if God moved, he was ready. And as followers of Christ, sometimes we don't, even in the middle of it, when we don't know what to do, our job, our responsibility is to do, to do the next right thing and just position ourselves. Like there's a story in um, uh, one of the gospels, I think it might be Matthew or Luke, about Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you know about him. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a what? Anybody remember? A sycamore tree. You know what he did when he climbed up in the sycamore tree? He positioned himself to see Jesus. And when he positioned himself, when Jesus came along, bam, he recognized Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus had positioned himself. Here, this is what I love. Two weeks ago, this is a story that, uh, and I love hearing the stories from, from you guys. Two weeks ago, there was a young lady um, at church, uh, you know, like attending, and she heard the message about do the next right thing. And she was kind of at a place where she had kind of given up on God a little bit, and she wasn't sure about her faith. And she said God spoke to her in that moment and said, the next right thing for you is to get a Bible. So she, immediately after the service, went to a bookstore and bought a Bible. She did the next right thing. You say, well, Perry, what happened? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, she positioned herself. And because she positioned herself, I believe when God reveals that next step, she's going to be ready to step into it. Boaz positioned himself. And as soon as he positions himself, look what happens. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. Boaz wasn't tracking him. Boaz didn't have a tracker on his camel, like trying to figure out where he was going. It just, he positioned himself. The guy comes by, and he goes, let's have a conversation. Now, I want you to watch what happens because it looks like it is still a reality when this goes down. Watch this. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. This, this is kind of like getting the realtor involved, and then the lawyer, and then the lawyer for the realtor. This is like the legal system of the day taking place. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, the one who came back from Moab. Really strategic how he throws that in there. I'm going to show you why in just a second. She's selling the land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. Everybody knew Elimelech had died. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. In other words, you're in line to buy this, and land was very valuable then as it is now. Boaz says, you, you know, you're, you're first in line. I'm second in line. So if you want to buy it, you can. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. In other words, I'm positioned. I'm ready. Like, I don't know if you got to think about it, but I don't have to think about it. I'm ready to make a move. This guy's just finding out about it. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, if you're, if you're pulling for Ruth, this isn't good. You're like, oh, it. This is, this is bad, right? Because you wanted this guy to go, no, I don't, I don't want the land. I don't want the land. And it looks like, at this point in the story, it looks like they're not going to get together. But Boaz has this thing called wisdom. 
It's that thing that as followers of Christ, the Bible says, I love one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is in the book of James. And I love the book of James because it was written, James was the brother of Jesus. So like James is legit. And James said in chapter one, verse five, if any of us lacks wisdom, which that's Captain Stupid right here, like I lack wisdom all the time. If any of us lacks wisdom, he should ask God or she should ask God who gives, who will basically give us wisdom. So if we lack wisdom, we can be like, God, I don't know what to do. Show me what to do. Sometimes the answer doesn't come immediately. Sometimes it does. But I love Boaz is so full of wisdom. The guy was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm to buy the land. And Boaz goes, okay, okay, okay. But Boaz told him, of course, of course, of course. Your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. The Moabite. I mean, <laughs> you know what they say about the Moabites, right? And, in other words, Boaz, Boaz was showing Ruth grace. But he knew that, he knew that other people weren't going to show her grace. So he kind of held this back. He said, you're going you're gonna to have to marry Ruth. It kind of comes along with the territory. Um, the Moabite widow, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name, not your name, her husband's name, and keep the land in the family. So, okay, you can buy the land, but when you get it, you're going to have to marry the Moabite woman. And when she has kids, they don't get to carry your name. They're carrying her dead husband's name. All of a sudden, like everything flips. Because this guy, I love his response. He was like, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. In other words, yeah, this isn't really good for me. This isn't really good for me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This guy, because the situation wouldn't work out for him, said no, because he was interested in himself. Boaz was interested in who? Ruth. And when you're interested in others, well, let's just, what's this guy's name? And this guy right here, the guy that said no, what's his name? We don't know because he was selfish. We know Boaz's name because he was all about other people. When we do things just for ourselves on a consistent basis, it just kind of fades away. But when we are really others focused, great things can happen. I love this story because he said, I, I can't do it because I had to go home and tell my wife and that, man, it just hit the fan. It would hit the fan. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. And then, and then, now in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. That's weird. You buy the land, here's my shoe. Um, that's, that's basically what went down. But that's the way they sealed. It wasn't a handshake. It wasn't a contract. You just had the guy's shoe. And hey, why do you have the land? Here's his Jordan, right? And so I got it. So all of this, all of this, all of this sets up two big ideas that I want us to walk away with today. And here's the first. And I say this, I try to say this all the time. Number one, God's plans are greater than my plans. God's plans are greater than my plans. Because, let's, let's stop for a minute and think about it. When the story starts out, when the story starts out, 
Does Ruth have an amazing, abundant, fulfilled life, yes or no? No. Because she's born in a foreign land, in a religion that's anti. She can't have a connection with God. She's a pagan. She's an idolater. There's nothing good about her that God would actually want to draw her to himself, but he does. And he does it through these crazy circumstances. He doesn't do it through a missionary. He does it through people running from God. Isn't it funny how God can use anything, even the it in our lives, God can use it for for his good? I don't understand it, but he can. And then she decides to come back she, she leaves Moab, she leaves her company. Something draws her from Moab to Bethlehem, and it's not Naomi because she's bitter at the time. Who wants to travel with a bitter person? I'm trying to get them out of the car, right? But she makes it back to Bethlehem. She goes to work, and in this story, don't miss this. This is why we know that God's plans are greater than our plans because in chapter 2, Ruth is working in the field, and in chapter 4, she owns it. Only God could do that. In chapter 2, she had haters in the field. In chapter 4, those haters were now her employees. See, only God can do that. And, and, and God did something else for her too, because don't, 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 don't forget, she was married to Elimelech, or she was married to one of Elimelech's sons for 10 years and didn't have children. That's a big deal. But then all of a sudden, the Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. God took a pagan idolater, drew her to himself, and blessed her in ways that she could have never imagined. And all she did along the way was the next right thing. All of us have that opportunity just to do the next right thing. And at the end of the day, I'm that, because for years and years and years, you know what I did? I took my plans to God. I don't know if you've ever done that because I'm a planner. I tend to plan things out. God, I got these plans and here you go. If you'll just kind of put your stamp of approval, notary public, bless those God. If you'll just kind of bless those, that'd be great. But I heard somebody say this phrase years ago and it's something I come back to over and over and over again. God, my life and my plans in your hands. My life and my plans in your hands. Because at the end of the day, if God can do that with Ruth, he can do it for all of us. Ruth's story is our story. There was nothing good about us that God would say, bam, I want, but, but, but he called us and he drew us to himself. And you know what? We might have it going on in our lives. I'm not gonna argue that. But I also want to put out there that my life is not nearly as bad as it could have been had I not met Jesus. Second thing, second thing I want to share out of the story is this. God can restore anyone. Now, years ago, years ago, I had a 1984 Toyota Camry. Um, It was made in hell, and I think the devil used to drive it because it broke down like every third day. So I was um, a youth pastor at the time. <laughs> I'll never forget, uh, I parked my car, and this kid in the youth group was back in his, he had like a Bronco or something, and backed into, my, backed into my Toyota Camry, and like my hood just like crumpled up. 
And I was like, well, it's okay, I can drive it. Um, because I was in college, and so I was, you just drive the car. And then one day I realized I couldn't drive the car because when he backed it, it did something to the hood, I'm going about 40 miles an hour down the road, and all of a sudden the hood just went and came up against my, literally I'm driving down the road, I can't see, my hood's against, it looked like a scene in a movie. I'm like, <laughs> um, and we didn't have camera phones back then, so I couldn't. And so, so I was like, okay, I got to get this fixed. So I had a coat hanger in my car, and the reason, because I, I was a college kid. You always have a coat hanger. And these were the wire coat hangers, not the plastic ones. So I got out and I pulled the hood down and I put the coat hanger and I fixed it. And I was like, and as I'm driving down the road, it's like, and I'm like, I can't, I can't drive. So I went and found this random garage way out in the middle of nowhere. And this guy came out, he had a beard, looked like Santa Claus, had really long white hair. And uh, I said, hey, hey, sir, you know, I'm looking for the owner. And he goes, I'm the owner. And I was like, okay, well, my car here. And, you know, he was like, dear God, boy, what'd you do? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, just, I don't have time. I said, can you, can you fix it? And he looked at, I remember he just looked at it and said, I think I can do something with that. And I was like, okay, awesome. Here's my phone number. Um, do, you, do you have a phone? Can you call me or something? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a call. I got back in the car with my friend that drove out there with me. He said, Perry, I think that guy's smelled way too many paint fumes. I'm like, I agree. I don't even know. So a week went by and I hadn't heard from the guy. So I called him. I was like, is this so-and-so? He goes, oh, yeah, I had your car ready two days ago. Been meaning to call you. I was like, okay. And I'm on my way out there thinking, this car is going to look horrible. And I remember pulling up in the park, and my car was there, and it was beautiful. Now, it still ran like crap. He couldn't do anything about that. But, it, like, the hood was, everything was, it, you couldn't tell that the hood had flown up on the windshield. Like, it was absolutely amazing. And I walked in, I was like, you know, how, you know thank you so much for doing it. I said, how'd you do it? And he goes, and he, I remember he just looked at me and said, boy. I've been doing this a long time. You know what? God's been putting crap together for a long time. And there are those of us that think our situation is so unique, and God's already seen it all. So at the end of the day, God can restore anyone. Because Naomi, remember? Naomi walks away from God, is away from him for 10 years. She's bitter. She's angry. She's blaming God. She's, she's just not a happy person. But how does this story wind up for Naomi? It's really simple. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the, woman, then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. In other words, Ruth stood by Naomi when nobody else would stand with her. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. Then the neighbor, went, the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. King David. 
the king that defeated Goliath, the king that led Israel. Oh, and by the way, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Don't miss this. If you don't have Ruth and Boaz, we don't get Jesus. Jesus came from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Remember, I told you a few weeks ago, Ruth and Boaz's story impacts the entire world. It impacts your life and it impacts my life. And at the end of the day, Naomi is holding a man that is in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. God restored her in ways that she could never imagine. And if God can do that for Naomi, God can do it for us as well. So what are my closing thoughts? Number one, surrender to his plans. Maybe you're watching today and you're not a follower of Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus because, um, let's be honest, the reason you've never given your life to Jesus is you've met some Christians. Um, and they've told you, you know, if you give your life to Jesus, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing the da 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 You know what you've got to do as a, as a follower of Christ? That's it. Follow Christ. Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Maybe you are a Christian. You're having a hard time surrender because you're like me. You're a control freak a little bit. You like that. You'd like to have control. But I've discovered that real joy comes from not being in control, but from surrendering to someone who know who you know is in control. And second one is accept His restoration. Maybe there's some people you walked away from God and listen. If I was in your situation, I might have walked away from God too. I'm not judging anybody for walking away from God. Maybe you got caught up in a situation. Maybe something bad happened. Maybe you just kind of drifted. I don't know. But when you get there, you're like, there's no way that God would ever want me back. And isn't it ironic that you happen to be watching this message, hearing the words, God wants you back. And so you can step back in and not just be restored, but have that life that you thought was always gone greater than you could ever, ever imagine. If God can do it for Ruth, and God can do it for Naomi, God can do it for us. Y'all pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this amazing story in your word. God, how you can take the worst situation in the world and turn it into a story about Jesus. Only you can do that, Lord. And Father, I want to pray for the person right now who feels like they are in the biggest pile of it that they've ever been, been in. God, I pray, God, that you would remind them that it can actually be the fertilizer <laughs> that'll set them up for the next level. I pray for the person, Jesus, that just needs to surrender to your plans because your plans are greater than our plans or accept your restoration. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you need to receive Christ today. Maybe you need to ask Jesus in your life. Maybe you've thought there's no hope for you, and there actually is, because what he did for Ruth, that's exactly what I believe he wants to do for everyone in his time. So if you've never met Christ, and you want to ask Jesus to come into your life, right where you are right now, you can pray and just say, Jesus, come into my life right now. I believe you died on the cross to save me from my sins. 
And right now, I receive your forgiveness and will follow you for the rest of my life the best I know how. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ, if you're watching on the Second Chance website, if you'll just hit the hand raise emoji, because we want to celebrate with you and do anything we can to help you do the next right thing. If you're on Facebook, if you'll give us a hand raise emoji, um, so we will know, or you can, you can uh, send us a message on Facebook. Um, it also, you can let us know on this thread how we can be praying for you this week. We'd love to know, or send us a prayer request on Facebook message. We'd love to know how we can be praying for you this week. And we're super excited about uh, finishing up the series next week. Also, I did promise to give you um, a building update. Went through the building yesterday. It's looking great. They're hanging up sheetrock. Uh, I'm glad I'm not hanging up sheetrock. I did that one summer and realized this is not God's calling on my life. Um, my boss realized that too. I didn't get an extension. Um, but what we're trying to do, I, I want to make this announcement because I made it a few weeks ago. Um, and I got to continually announce them. We're not moving in the building on September 30th. We're not moving in the building on September 30th. I want to repeat that. If you show up for church at that location on September 30th, look inside, there's nobody there. Um, but because we, we weren't able to get everything ordered, like we've got all the money to complete the construction, um, but we weren't able to get everything ordered. And so far the 250K fund, um, kind of excited about this because honestly, I've never, I, I, I've never led like an internet church that's trying to raise money for a physical location. Usually you get a physical location, then you try to raise money for other things. So this is completely backwards. But so far, we've raised $64,212.74, which is awesome. I'm super excited about that right there. But we need $250,000 before we can open the building. So this is the deal, just to kind of let everybody know. And I'm, listen, I'm cool with it either way it goes. If we're able to take this in by the end of this month, so by the end of August, if we're able to raise $250,000, then we will be able to move into the building the first weekend in November. So, and that's daylight savings time. So you get like a, our, our fall back. So you get an extra hour of sleep that weekend, first week in November. So that's like win everywhere. And it's a Clemson home game. So, I mean, it just kind of keeps getting better and better and better. But if we're not able to raise that money by the end of August and it goes into September, then our first Sunday in the building looks like it'll be the first weekend in December. Um, and so at this point, at this point, it really is all about raising that $250,000. So if you want to give to the 250K campaign to help us get closer. And listen, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. If you want to help us get closer, you can give on our website at mysecondchancechurch.com, mysecondchancechurch.com. Some people are like, why do we call it My Second Chance Church? Well, I... We're going we're gonna to have t-shirts one day that say, I love my church. It's going to be my church. It's my church. And, um, but that's not the real reason. Secondchancechurch.com was already taken. Um, but, but I, so that's why I threw the my in there. Or you can send us an address. We actually have the correct address up this time. The last one, we had the zip code for someplace in New Mexico. So somebody out there probably got a lot of money. Um, but you can send a, a check to this address um, and help us get, and just write 250K fund in the memo. And for those of you that have been giving, that are giving, thank you so much. You're making a huge difference. And we're going to get there when God wants us to get there. And I'm super excited about it. Love you guys and see y'all next week for the last um, message having to do with the book of Ruth. God bless.